Welcome to the Drive Time Podcast. This is exciting, the first episode, the first show, the first one on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, somewhere else maybe, you never know. But each week I'm going to just talk about topics from around the world of football that I find interesting. So as it's the first episode, I guess we should start with an introduction. My name's Paul, you can find me on YouTube as The Northman if you're listening to this on iTunes, etc., um, if you're listening on YouTube, go on iTunes and search the Drive Time Podcast. Remember, hit a like, get that in early. So, yeah, a little bit about myself. I am the manager of Bjekram IL in the seventh tier of Norwegian football. Um, in my spare time, I play a lot of football manager, the computer game on the PC. I like to watch as much football as I can, and I like to ramble about it. So hopefully you're going to enjoy me ranting, rambling, and talking about anything football. So I thought for the first episode, the first podcast, I would get on a special guest, but he was unavailable, so I've ended up with Ryan. Um, you can find him on Twitter at the FM Teacher. So hello, Ryan. Hello, Paul. Thank you for having. Thank you for coming along. I'm very, very happy to be here. Tell me a little bit about yourself. So as Paul said, uh, I'm the FM Teacher. You find me on Twitter at the FM Teacher. Um, Maybe in the future you might find me on YouTube doing some Football Manager stuff. Um, I know the FM Central Admins are trying to push me towards that. Um, Football Manager website, which um, Paul owns as well. I've got a few posts on there, so hopefully you can go check them out as well. Indeed. But let's talk some football. So we're going to get started with a club close to your heart, which is Manchester United. Um, the Manchester derby happened at the weekend. I think it's probably one of the biggest games of the weekend, unless you're a Celtic or Rangers fan. So I think it's time to get into that. And the score ended two one to Manchester City at Old Trafford, Ryan. Um, so I think the the starting question has to be: Did Pep slay Jose? He did. Um, I think the way he set his tactic out. I think we've we've seen it all from the start of the season. He's been playing those inverted wing backs that are coming inside, and the centre backs are going out to the wings. Very possession based style of football, which. Man City are slowly getting used to. It's not there yet, which you can see in in the goal. The first goal that Man City scored was just a, a long, hopeful ball forward that was flicked on by uh, Inacio onto De Bruyne, who just walked through the Man United defence and scored a, a very easy goal. But Man United just didn't step up to the plate for me in that game. But I think one of the things that people are saying is that... Um Tactically, Jose got it wrong. Now, was it tactical or was it more the selection which was wrong? I think tactically it was fine, but selections of um, Lingard and Mkhitaryan, which a lot of fans have been calling for Mkhitaryan to actually start a game, and this was his opportunity. Fortunately for him, he didn't impress. Granted, it's a, a very difficult game to start. Manchester derby, your very first game actually starting for the team that you've just recently joined, but didn't step up to the plate. He couldn't pass the ball five yards, uh, not many successful dribbles. Lingard couldn't pick out anything that he could do in the game properly. It was a dreadful game for both of them, and then they were rightly substituted at half-time with Rashford coming on and Ander Herrera coming on. So big changes I'm seeing. Now talk about Mkhitaryan starting. I don't understand why one matter wasn't given the... The starting berth because he's. I think he's been playing well. Now, yes, he's not a right winger, and that is clear. Especially being left-footed means he naturally comes inside. Then the fact that he likes to play in the middle it does mean he drifts inside quite a lot. 
Now, but would that not make you think with City playing these inverted wing backs, having somebody else who's going to drift into the middle would have been a nice option anyway? It would have been, and um, the Sky Sports pundits actually made a, quite a bit of a debate about this of why Mata wasn't starting, and it was thought that because Mata drifts inside and Man City want that inside sort of play so they can play the simple passing game, which we saw it in dribs and drabs throughout the game that Mata could either give the ball away and force the ball centrally, which is like what I've said, Man City wanted that, but maybe Jose wanted to try and drag the play wide and it was hoping that Mkhitaryan and Lingard would do that, but fortunately it wasn't to be. Now I think when you when you look at Man City and you see that Aguero was missing and in in actual coming now he is a great talent but he's not he's not Sergio Aguero. Um, now you've got to look at the the Man United defence coming up against um, Ian Acho and then you've got De Bruyne playing as well. So obviously De Bruyne is known for getting forward. Why was he not picked up? I know on the on the first goal, as you say, it was a long ball forward, but it's quite clear when you watch it back that Pogba just lets him run. I don't understand what's going on there in terms of the team has... who was designated to be picking up De Bruyne from your eyes watching the match. Was anyone set to pick him up? Because surely coming up against such a talent as De Bruyne, which Mourinho, I think, has been reminded, is quite a big talent who he let go. Mm. Um, common sense says you're going to not man... Well, to an extent, you could man-mark him because he's, take him out the game and with Aguero missing, you're, you're going to nullify 60-70% of the attacking play, I think. Yeah, you were. Um, I think Pogba was the man that was uh, picked to try and take him out of the game, but didn't really do that. Then you look at Fellaini, who's known to be quite physical. He could have taken him out of the game with a, a few hard tackles that just didn't happen. But the way that De Bruyne was playing, he was on the right, on the left, in the centre. He was everywhere across that attacking, attacking play for Man City. So, really good performance for him and. Nobody picked him up on the first goal, but then we look at the first goal and if you watch Rooney going in in the replay, you can see him telling Mkhitaryan, go and press the ball, go and press the ball, but Mkhitaryan, for some reason, and I can imagine what you'd be like on the sideline as a manager, you'd be telling them to press Mkhitaryan, thought it'd be a great idea just to stroll up to whoever the Man City player was, I can't remember, and the ball just went long. I think it was Kolarov. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was Colorado. Colorado send it long to Iganacho, who flicked it on to De Bruyne, who took it past Delhi Blind like he wasn't there, and then Delhi Blind thought it was a good idea to go for a Sunday morning stroll and just not track back and easy goal for De Bruyne. Watching, I had a little rant on Facebook, which I think quite a few people have seen, and not not happy for me. I watched it back and thought, no, no pressing and players just strolling. No idea what Jose Mourinho must have been thinking, but. He wasn't very happy from what I've seen in the replay. So I think what we need to do is just jump over to the Man City side of things. Now, yes, they got the victory, but there was a few issues in the in the team. Now, I've seen people talking about Bravo and saying, well, it's going to take time. He doesn't speak English. He, doesn't, um, he, he wasn't playing with the tallest defenders. There's a few things going around, but in my opinion, you're 33 years old um, and you've got the experience. Now coming over to a new country the first thing you're going to learn is them decisive calls you need during a match you're going to know how to come out and shout the basics shout keeper shout mine shout leave it 
you're going to learn these things. Now, he's small as it is. He's 33. He had a very poor Copper America in terms of during the group stage. Many goals were his fault. He's come over to Man City somehow for 17 million. I don't still don't understand how they justified paying 70 million for this keeper who is supposedly good with his feet. Um, now, yes, a Barcelona wasn't bad, but the difference is in La Liga, you don't press the keeper like you do in the Premier League. And he got pressed in the game, and you could see that he was struggling in terms of when he tried to turn. At one point, I can't remember who it was. He, he like tried to sharp turn, and he ended up losing it, nearly give a penalty away to Rooney, which should have been a penalty. Studs up. I'm sure you'll, well, you'll definitely agree. Um, so he come out, tried to claim one, jumping for it, went over stones and fumbled it. Now, it doesn't matter Stones is there. He should be keeping all of it. He should be flying over stones, catching it and just landing. As a goalkeeper, you safety second. Mm. First job, catch the ball. Now, I saw, um, I think it was Diego Mendoza on Twitter said to me, remember De, De Gea when he come? Now, yes, De Gea was dreadful um, at claiming the ball or coming out of the physical side of the game, which, yes, he was, but he was young. Now, why was De Gea dreadful? Because he'd come from Spain. Now, where's Bravo come from? Spain. Where does he play? Where, where's he, like, nationality-wise? South America. He's not used to the physicality of the Premier League. And at the age of 33, he does not have time to learn like De, De Gea had. If he doesn't step up, he's going to have to go. Now, the question is, in your opinion, is Bravo an improvement on Joe Hart? It's a difficult question to answer. A step up. It's a step up in... You look at him footwork, but then if we look at the game, what could Bravo do in that game that Joe Hart couldn't do? Very simple passes out the back, which is what Pep Guardiola looks for. Who can't play a simple five-yard pass forward to a centre-back? I imagine Joe Hart can, but if you look at the way Man City set up on their free kicks, they forced the defensive line out, so Bravo had time to come out towards the ball, but then, just as you say, if you're going to do that, set up, so the defensive line is out. You've got to have a goalkeeper that's going to be confident running between that line and picking up the ball, shouting for goalkeeper's ball, shouting mine, which, although coaches say you should never shout mine, but he's new He's new to the game. Even if he shouts mine, it's something. But he just needs to learn the basics. If, they, if the defence knows, right, this keeper's struggling English-wise, but this is what he's going to shout when he comes out. You know to leave it. Mm. You know to leave it if he's going to come out shouting. Yeah, I think it would be something that um, obviously Pep will work on at training with the defenders and Bravo himself when he will learn English eventually. It's been Football is football, but you don't need to learn English to be able to play football. You just need to know what to do and when. So I think it will come. And But a step up, I think only very minorly. Joe Hart, good goalkeeper, even though he made the mistake in his first game, but... Only one mistake, and I could pick out probably four or five mistakes that Bravo made in the Man City derby. Where if he does that against even stronger teams, like I mean, Man United, they're a very strong team, but physically stronger teams up up top with, you know, I don't know like Wilfred Bonney or somebody who's going to literally get them off the ball, Man City will have no chance. No, I think moving back to the red side of Manchester. So, reports coming out, Jose has now said that Rashford is going to be a starter. He's worked his way into the starting eleven. Now, for years, Jose has been known as favouring the experienced players. 
Now, is this because of the short lifespan of a manager? He doesn't want to risk giving the youth a chance? Or do you actually think he doesn't like playing youth? Because when you look at the Chelsea days, very rarely did anybody under 20 play. And when you look at... I think the youngest ever goal scorer under Jose Mourinho's reign Chelsea was Aaron Robin, age 21, I think it was, in the mm. Premier League. Um, it's a crazy stat to be looking at. Um, so Rashford, Rashford moving into the starting position... That is great to see, and he definitely deserves it. I mean, this guy is a massive talent. And the fact that he was kept out of the under-21 squad by Fletcher, who's gone to West Ham, shows the depth that Manchester United have sitting in their youth team at the minute. But um, I think the question I've got to ask you is, one, does Jose mean your favourite experienced players? And two, does this mean Martial is not in the starting eleven now? See, I think at the moment, I think Jose will stick to what he knows and he'll go with the experience. But as we're seeing now in the news, he's going to start Rashford in future games. I think if he stays at Man United long term, I think he'll turn into sort of a different manager. He'll stay with a sort of tactical style, but then he'll change towards developing the youth players, which is what, going back to the old days of Sir Alex Ferguson, the youth players were always coming through. So hopefully this might be the kick up the arse that Jose might need and you've got to know that Sir Alex Ferguson he's not left Man United and gone off to the Caribbean somewhere and is not saying anything to the club he'll still be advising Jose on how to develop the youth which we can't say that he can't develop youth but well, he's, we not, can. he's not known for bringing up the youth players and I think we can go back to when his first uh, interview when he said oh how many youth players have I given chances and it was sort of that, I think it was something stupid, it's 42 or something like that. It wasn't a very high number if you compared it to Alex Ferguson, who granted was a longer manager. But Jose needs to do a bit more and start bringing up the youth. And if you look at look at the players that Man United have sold in the transfer window this year, a lot of them who played under Louis van Gaal, were they, were they worthy of being sold? Probably yes, because Nicky Butters turned around and said they weren't that Man United level. But you look at this player, Rashford, who's gone in to be a person for FIFA 17. The story it comes from him. He's going to be a fabulous player. If he's given time to play in loads of games, look at him in the Man City game. So direct, running running at defenders and taking them on. Trying to, trying to put crosses into the box when he's playing on the wing. Getting shots away when he can. Had that well, the goal that was offside because Ibrahimovic was a little bit too slow in getting back. But if he's given the chance, then I can see Rashford just yeah. going on a massive run. That goal wouldn't have gone in the way anyway because it was straight at the keeper. It was a deflection off Zlatan, which put it in the back of the net. So, but we'll move away from the Manchester derby for now, and we're just going to look at the at Newcastle United. Now that's the team I grew up supporting, and um, when I was living in England, and five wins in a row. Second in the league now, joint second. After losing to Fulham and Huddersfield, that's now five wins in a row. That's including the cup. But um, it's nice to get the form going. It's nice to see the Rafa revolution is um, in full stride. It definitely, we should be looking to go up. I don't think there's any question about that. And people saying, oh, we're up in second, fantastic. No, no, we need to be looking at first. There's no way we should be settling for second in the championship, especially with the squad we've got. You look at the players we've we've still got there, you look at the players we've brought in, the likes of Richie, who was Premier League standard, Mitrovic, 
Perez, you go down the squad there, you've got Lascelles in defence, a great defender in my opinion. Um, Yedlin coming in right back, getting rid of Janmark, getting rid of Sissoko, getting rid of Wijnaldum. Um, we've just made so much money by selling such crap players. I think it's fantastic business by Newcastle. And I think no matter what people say about Ashton, yes, he spent three years too late in terms of trying to save us. But we've gone down. We're going to go back up. I think that's that's for sure. I think we've got the squad and got the manager to do that. And if Ashley's now going to be spending a bit as well going forward, then fantastic. I think when you look at what Ashley's done for the club in terms of we are very financially secure and we've, again, made a lot of money in the transfer window. As long as that money is invested in the club in terms of development of the stadium, um, new seating, development of the, the food courts, new food, development of cleaning the stadium up, development of cleaning the training pitches, anything from the smallest to the biggest thing, as long as that money is invested back in, then I don't think anyone can insult Mike Ashley. Yes, he spent too late, it's ended up getting us relegated, but sometimes you've got to go backwards to go forwards. So I think if we just look at the long term, there's potential there that we can keep pushing on, especially if Rafa sticks around, because um, the Rafa revolution is in full swing now. Um, but we're going to move on to Luis Suarez. Um he broke some records at the weekend. That's 88 goals in his first 100 games for Barcelona with 43 assists, Ryan. Now, that's beating Cristiano Ronaldo's record that was set when he joined Real Madrid. So, I think the question is, why has he scored so many goals? Now, is La Liga a pool league? The question I want to ask, would Suarez have scored 88 goals in 100 games in the Premier League? No. No. La Liga, La Liga is a very different league to the Premier League. Premier League is going up and up and up. It's getting better and better every year. Look at last year. Who, who predicted Leicester to win the league? Nobody. La Liga, who is it? You've got Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Real Madrid. It's always the top three that are at least challenging for the league. And then you've got like the likes of Valencia, Malaga, uh, a few others that will challenge for the places just below and then you've got very middle middle of the row teams that will just try and fight for a place wherever they can it's a very a very different league and a very sometimes a very boring league to watch if you watch Barcelona play in their tick attack all the time Real Madrid Real Madrid Barcelona games can be either a war or they can be just turn it off and falling asleep sort of games Premier League can can be sort of the same, but it's getting better and better every year. So I don't think Suarez would have scored the same amount of goals that he has in the Premier League as he has in the Liga now. I'd love to know what people listening think, so please drop a comment on that. And especially if you're listening on YouTube, drop a comment in there. Um, I think the question is as well, will Suarez win the Ballon d'Or? Or do you think due to his antics, i.e. previous years biting, previous years just issues... There's always some sort of issue with Suarez. Now, yes, he might have calmed down now, but is is that kind of situation going to prevent him from winning the Ballon d'Or? Because obviously, we're not going to say FIFA would fix it, but mm. um, they probably would. Well, yeah, I can't I can't see him winning it because managers will look back over many years of playing football. They don't look over well to me. They don't look over a block. But like if you look at this, eighty-eight goals in a hundred games, forty-three assists. Absolutely incredible. Ballon d'Or, easy, easy win, but the way football goes, I just can't see him winning it. I could see him possibly coming second. 
and then either Ronaldo or Messi just swapping places. <laughs> swapping places. So I think next topic is uh, Mario Balotelli. He's gone to play some nice football in Nice. Had to throw that in. Um, he scored two goals on his debut. Now he only scored four in 28 games for Liverpool, so he's already halfway there to matching his record so far. Nice. Now, I like him. I'd have had him in Newcastle because he can do things, he can create things, he's um, a character, he sells shirts. That's why Nice signed him, he mm. sells shirts. Um, how do you think he's going to do in France? I honestly think in a year or two he's going to be moving. Not because Nice want him to move, but because a club wants to buy him. Now I know Liverpool have a sell-on clause, which was fantastic, put him very smart. Liverpool let him go on a free. They've added a sell-on clause, so if he does step up with Nice, they make some money. Do you think he's going to do well in France? It's an interesting one, because Nice have suddenly stepped up and started buying a few fairly good players. So, if Nice can step up in the French League, then maybe he might stay for a couple of seasons, but then a team, I don't know who, might come along. If he, if Mario steps up and keeps scoring, then in a bid then I can see just Nice accepting it and then buying somebody else but four goals in 28 for Liverpool that's if you remember his price tag 16 million I think he went to Liverpool for that's four million four million per goal which is nice bit of math there <laughs> it is I had to work that out in my head that was quite good for me now the question is I think is um, how long before if, if Mario Balotelli scores 15 goals or more this season, I predict within the next two years, he will be playing in Paris. Because they were looking at him go, he's scoring in the French League, he's settled now, he's learnt the language, he's ready, let's sign him. He's still young, he's not, not that old, mm. so he could end up going to play in Paris. I think, yeah, I think, I think that's a very, it's a very good call. Thank he, you. He'll, he'll learn the language over in Nice. Um, and Paris Saint-Germain are, they are the strongest team in France by a long way, but they're on a downward spiral at the moment. They're, they're not as good as they used to be. They've lost a few good players, but then they've got the money, so they can buy anybody they like at the end of the day. So. They'll buy the league, yeah. don't worry. So I think eventually he may end up there, but it'll be interesting to see. If his attitude stays as it is now, then... He should be fine. If anyone has seen what he's actually said in the media recently, he said joining Liverpool was the worst thing he ever, ever did. But I'm sure he was happy sitting on the wages. So, But fair play to him to go into Nice and getting a few goals on his uh, first game. Let's see how his season goes. Indeed. So we'll go over the pond now. Um, some interesting news come out of the MLS this week and he made his comeback on the 82nd minute last night. Landon Donovan is back for LA Galaxy due to a lot of injuries he decided to come out of retirement to help them out now I saw a lot of people saying this is why I don't watch the MLS this is why the MLS is poor it's an old man's league um, the pace of the MLS is fantastic um, and there's some really really good games it's very competitive Donovan coming back he's 34 now um, will he do well? I don't think so but he only came on for 8 minutes and they shorter players um, if anything, this is more of a publicity stunt, um, which I don't think LA Galaxy needed to do. Yes, they shorter players. They should have gave somebody, one of the youth players, a chance, in my opinion. Him coming back, it's not the worst move because he was very talented and he did retire too early, in my opinion. But very strange, but 
I don't think it may. The MLS is not no man's league. It's definitely picked up its pace dramatically. So I'm, I'm curious how it's going to go with him back, how many games he's actually going to feature in because there's not long left of the season. So quite a strange situation. But we're going to then jump back on a plane and move over to Norway. And we're just going to have a look at a few things in Norway to finish off this week. Um, so Rosenberg are top on the table. They've only lost one game all season. They're on 56 points, 15 points clear of Odd, who are in second place. There's... Um, there's only seven games left of the season, so they've pretty much won the title. But going down at the other end of the table now, people will know that Christoph Ayer has gone to Celtic. He joined middle of the season. Now Start, who he left, are sitting bottom of the table. They've not won a match all season. They've drew nine, lost 14. They're sitting on nine points. Now, it's crazy because Start are not a bad team, and they've just not got started. That's dreadful, wasn't it? Um, it's very sad to see that the team is struggling so badly. Um, I mean, they down. There's no way they're going to survive now. Um, and Starbeck looked like they're going to go down as well. Um, battling with Osland and Lillstrom as well are in there. And then there's a few points up to Tromsø and Berda Glimt. So it's a very competitive league this year. And I just think Rosenberg have just clicked. Because they've never run away with it. The likes of Mulder are sitting down in fifth. Oligon Solskjaer is not going to be happy with that. But they only two points away from third place. Sorry, they only um, three points away from second place. So they're very close to getting the European slots, which is the top three, then depending on the winner of the cup. So it's interesting to see how the Norwegian league is going to pan out with only so few games left. So it's definitely worth checking out if you've not been watching it this season. Um, and we're just going to end by talking about Bjerkram a little bit, the club that I'm managing. So we are currently sitting in ninth place which is last place in the table now for people who don't know who Bjerkram are I took over the club at the start of the season with only one week preparation before the league campaign started um, now we didn't have a squad at the time so we had to build a squad put people together um, and 90% of the squad are people who didn't make it into the, into the Bjerkram squad the match day squad last year and they just stopped playing they stopped playing football and I've convinced them to come back and play this year we turned the, the style around and we played a very high pressing, very quick tempo passing style, just holding on to the ball and trying to just play football and actually enjoy ourselves. Um, now the start of the, se the start of the season was a struggle, we picked up three draws in a row due to fitness and we were losing, conceding goals near the end of, this, end of the matches which was very frustrating. Um, and away from home there's definitely a mental barrier which the team has been struggling to get over. Um, so our away form, I think it's played six, lost six, where our home form is one, two, drew three, lost one. So at home, we've actually got a really good record this season in terms of a team who didn't have any coaching staff, didn't have any players a week before the season, and pulled out of the cup competitions because we didn't think we were going to enter in the league this year, let alone the cups. Um, so the fact that we now are one victory away from pulling off the top, pulling away from the bottom of the table, which is nice. Um, since the summer break, we've played three games. We've won two, lost one. So over the summer, I had seven weeks to train the players and just get them, get them going correctly, get them moving in the correct positions, etc. And it's it's coming together nicely, which is. It, it sounds strange to say because people go, yeah, but you're bopping the table at the minute. Um, but when you look at where the club's come from to where the club is now, 
over such a short period of time. We are dominating matches now. And I genuinely think running to the end of the season, we can pick up some more results and take confidence going into next season that we've now got a team together. We've got a structure in place in terms of the style of play. We've got players who we know coming back next year. And we can get a proper pre-season next year. And we can push. And I genuinely think we can go up next year. There's no reason why we can't. The two victories we've had this since the mid-season break have been against two very good teams. So I think we just need to keep ourselves together. And next year we can go up and hopefully win promotion, like I say, and win the title, which is the aim. And it sounds crazy for a team currently sitting bottom of the table, but there's no reason why we can't. And I'd do believe that we can pull off the bottom of the table before the end of the season as well this year. Um, but that is the end of the weekly Drive Time podcast. Thank you, Ryan, for coming along this week. Pleasure being here. I hope people have enjoyed it. Brand new format. Um, each week I'll get someone different on. Maybe Ryan will be back next week. I don't know yet, but it'll be somebody with me sitting down to talk um, for you to listen to on your drive home from work on a Monday. So thank you for listening. I do appreciate it. If you're listening on iTunes and SoundCloud, please drop a like, please drop a rating. If you're listening on YouTube, drop a like, drop a comment, drop a comment on iTunes. But yeah, thanks for listening, guys, and I will see you next time.